No. So in high school, in the 1990s, I have students who are like, you were, you were alive in the 1900s? In the 1990s, I, um, my best friend won tickets to go see Garth Brooks at, Dow- at Texas Stadium, the old Dallas Cowboys Stadium. And it was, it was all the talk of the town because there was supposed to be this cloud. They were, they were generating some sort of cloud to make it rain during the concert, during one of his songs. And uh, I was like, man, I'm, I'm not a country music guy. I love rap. I don't, I'm not a country guy. My girlfriend at the time was straight country. It was really cool. And, uh, and so I was like, you know, he was like, let's go. I want two tickets. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to a country concert, man. You got to wear those weird clothes. So I'm not doing that. Like jeans that like you can, you can see somebody's pulse going through their leg because their jeans are so tight. I'm not, I'm not doing that. And so he's like, come on, man. It's Garth Brooks. And I was like, no. My girlfriend invited me to the concert too. I was like, no, I'm not going to go. So she got four tickets. So her and her girlfriends all got dressed up like you do and all those clothes that are shiny and bright. And uh, finally, the day of the concert, my best friend's like, come on. And I was like, all right. It's like, my girlfriend will never know. <laughs> Foreshadow. So she'll never know. It's a huge stadium. We're not going to run into each other. You know, there was no social media. There was no taking pictures of the cell phone back then. It was, you know, it was one of the, like, if you're lucky, you got the, and you hope it looked good. And so we get to the concert, and we're going down, we're, we're walking down the steps, and we have the first two seats. And then all of a sudden, Coming down the steps were four girls, and they had the first four seats. And I'm like, there's 50,000 people here. And we're like stairs apart. And it was one of those, like, I just leaned over, like, I'm sorry. And she was like, you're dead. Uh, So this brings back a lot of memories. Um, So thank you for that. All right. um, I do have some pictures I want to share with you guys. I don't know know if they're going to come up or not. Hey, all right. So in 1977, one of the greatest years of all mankind because Star Wars came out and I was born. And um, Eddie Money released a song called, um, two, well, it's called Paradise, Two Tickets to Paradise. You guys know this song? I've got two tickets to paradise. Now, if you read the lyrics, it's pretty fascinating. It says, I'm going to take you on a trip so far from here. I've got two tickets in my pocket. Now, baby, we're going to disappear. We've waited so long. We've waited so long. We've waited so long. I've got two tickets to paradise. Won't you pack your bags? We'll leave tonight. I got two tickets to paradise. So a long time ago, when I was here before, a couple weeks ago, uh, it seems like a long time ago, um, we talked about, like, um, we all have this sense, and I I heard this past week quite often because we we lost a kid in our community uh, in a car accident, and um, a lot of times on social media or people were texting me and calling me, and they used the phrase, supposed to be. And we talked about that last time I was here. We all agree that there is this way of life that we would say it's supposed to be this way. And there's no rule book on it. There's no, there's, it's not printed anywhere. We just, deep down inside of us, which I believe is what um, Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes when he says, um, like, in, in, our, in our hearts, we, we long for this eternity. This idea that this is why we don't, um, we, this is why we have this innate desire to save life. Because we long for life, eternal life and to, to keep living. And so um, I heard a lot this past week of this. It's not supposed to be that way. Parents shouldn't, shouldn't bury a child. It's not supposed to be. And the question is, well, well, who tells you that? Like, how do you know what is supposed to be? So this idea of paradise is this idea of heaven. Because in the Bible, sometimes the word paradise and heaven are synonymous. Sometimes they're exchanged differently. 
lots of different religious beliefs have different ideas of paradise. Um, if you, you know, certain, certain religious groups believe paradise is a certain place, certain time, certain location that's different from heaven. Some say they're the same. Uh, my mom always called it like a waiting room. She didn't fully understand it. I met with a rabbi one time in Houston, Texas. I used to go to their Bible studies. It was fascinating. A Jewish Bible study is way better than a Christian Bible study because they throw things at each other. And we don't do that. We put it on Facebook and just bash each other. So I'm at this round table, and I'm not allowed to sit at the round table because I'm not Jewish. So I get to sit off to the side on these chairs and just, and just watch. And so um, these two rabbis get in a disagreement, and they, um, they, they, they get vocal, they stand up, and they're both using um, other scriptures to back themselves up. Sounds so different than what we do. And so one gets mad, and he takes his shoe, and he throws it at the other one. Now, in, in this Bible study setting, that's not a bad thing. It's, it's a sign of like, you guys are like at your A game. It's kind of like when two players on the basketball court go against each other, Bloomington North, Bloomington South, the two best players, one dribbles the ball down the court, the other one matches up, and you're like, oh, it's what we've been waiting for. It's kind of like that. One takes his shoe off and throws at the other one, and the rest is like, I don't know what to call on that. Um, so in this Bible study, though, they throw shoes, but one of the things I loved about it was at the very end, they hugged and they kissed, which, I, you know, I'm not a big kisser, but um, they hugged and they kissed. The idea was, in this room, in this setting, we can disagree, we can argue, we can fight, but when we leave, we're brothers, and we don't go find another church, we don't go arguing, we come back and we do it again, because iron can sharpen iron. It's, it's fascinating how this goes. So um, I was looking at this, thinking about this stuff, and um, some, this past week, some people were talking about this idea of heaven. And one of the hardest things that I ever do one time was, um, I, was a, I was a youth minister at Cincinnati, and one of the students in my youth group, um, he moved back up to Indianapolis and was murdered. And I went up to do the funeral. This was back in uh, like 2000, uh, his name was Bobby Nally. And um, he, he, was, he was killed, so I went and did the funeral up in, in, in Indianapolis, I went and did the funeral, and I remember I was standing there talking, and I remember Grandma says, is he in heaven? And I was like, I don't know how to answer that question. Like, I, I know, like for me, I know scriptures say certain things to me about heaven and the belief system of heaven and believing in Jesus. And I was like, I don't know where he stood. That's between him and God. It's between everybody and God. It's between you and God only. And I, I tell my kids, my own personal kids, two of them are here today, I tell them like, you know, your salvation does not rest in who your mom and dad is. Like I tell them all the time. Like my daughter turned 18 Thursday. Really weird feeling. Really strange. Knowing like you're an adult now, but you're still under my roof. And you will abide by my laws. But don't leave my roof. <laughs> Please be my baby girl forever. Um, it, was, it was kind of a strange feeling. But I remember when, her, when his grandmother asked me that question, it was one of those like, you, I did a funeral Wednesday, this past Wednesday. Uh, a friend of mine, her, her cousin's husband's dad passed away. And the, the minister, I, I guess he became sick, but they were like, he can't do it, can you come up? So I went up and I did the funeral. And it was the same kind of thing. They're like, you know, we only, you know, I said, well, how, you know, how long is the funeral going to be? I don't know this guy at all, so I really don't know what to say. I, I usually preach the same message at a funeral. It's, it's like the funeral is not for the dead, it's for the living. And so I remember talking about eternal life and knowing Jesus. And um, I, I didn't, the family was like, we just, five minutes. Can you just speak for five minutes? Like, we, we want to be in and out. And I was kind of like, this is weird. Like, like you just want to be done. Uh, it was kind of an awkwardness, but it was beautiful at the same time. 
And so we, got, we started speaking about all this heaven and, and eternal life and hell and all these things. And so I started going through some of this stuff and I said, you know, sometimes when we talk about heaven or paradise, most of, um, can you go to the next picture? Most of us have a picture like this, right? If I ask you guys what comes to mind when you think of paradise, do you guys go to cold weather mountains or do you guys go to beach? Okay. Some people want the cold because you can always get warmer. Some people don't want to go to the beach because if you're hot, you can't get colder. And I'm like, well, okay. But I look at this and go like, this, this, is, this is, I wouldn't mind sitting there with lemonade and just doing nothing. I wouldn't mind that at all. That would be paradise. How about, can you go to the next one? How about something like this? This was taken in, um, we went down to um, uh, Clearwater, Florida. And at sunset, I took this picture. This was a resort, not a resort. It was like a little hotel area we were staying at. And this is just, this is just Florida. And you would think, this is not, I, I look at this and go, that's not Florida. That's like Bahamas or something because there's chairs. Um, but it's like, it's gorgeous. And so, can you go, I think there's one more. Can you go one more? Or, or something like this. Some people think of eternal life, paradise, it's something like this. And all of us have different ideas. When we go to heaven, oh, it's going to be this beautiful, like I, I walk through all of this tall, flowery grass to a stream and mountains. Or some say, no, no, we're going to float around on clouds with halos and strumming harps, because we all know how to play a harp. And, uh, you know, it's going to be like very like, 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 this is horrible music in heaven. <laughs> well, it's because we don't know how to play. Um, <clears throat> so we have, we, ha we have our ideas. And this is what I, I tell a lot of students sometimes, is you have to be very careful not to take your own ideas and force them into Scripture or force them into God or force them into Jesus. So like if, if heaven does not look like this, I don't think I would look around going, you know, God, you know what you should have done here? Like, I'm, I don't think I'm going to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. Or I, I don't think he's going to say, what, what's your opinion? What should, we, what should I have done differently? Well, on earth, we have these things called mountains. You could have put some out. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But sometimes it's, it's just weird. Uh, sometimes our, our thinking, though, is it's a place we want to go, but... Here and now, paradise, a vacation, I know Nick's gone, the idea of, of a paradise, a vacation, is we go somewhere, but we have to come back. And when we come back, we're, we're right back to where we, what we left. We're right back to what we left. Um, in, in Luke, if, I think I have it on the board, I'm not sure. Yeah, in Luke, Jesus is dying on the cross. And one of the uh, criminals turns to him and speaks to Jesus. There's two criminals. Some say they were both yelling at him, and then something happened, and one started saying, remember me? And Jesus says to one of the criminals, I tell you today you'll be with me in paradise. So this word here, it's called paradisos, it, it means a large enclosed park. That's what it refers to. So a, a beautiful park. So in the very beginning, we have this garden, beautiful garden. It's in a place called Eden. And then at the very end of Scripture, there's another gigantic garden, a river flowing through it. There's trees that are yielding crops, a beautiful larger garden um, that looks like beauty, things that John's like, I, I can't describe it, but this is what it looks like. This is why we say the word like, like or use a simile. But the Bible teaches heaven as, like we talked last time, as, as the realm, the place, the time, as things are the way they should be, and it's where God dwells. So this is kind of like uh, interesting. We all have this longing of that's not how it's supposed to be. A father should not beat his children. That's not how it's supposed to be. 
And we just have this innate, it's in us. We know that's not right. Nobody ever sat down and said, okay, here are the rules to life. Nobody ever said to us, we don't, we don't have to have a manual to know what's right and what's wrong. Now, a lot of times there are small things that we get and we, we're kind of like questionable on. We kind of go, mm, I don't know if that was right or if that is good. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, if I steal food, that's wrong. If I steal food to feed my starving family, ooh, is that right or wrong? There's a story at one time where a judge, a man was brought to trial for stealing to feed his family. And the judge let him go free, but punished the community. And said, how dare you let somebody in your own community get to that point? It's pretty interesting. It's like, mm. Some, sometimes, I think inside of us, we have this idea of what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. We don't have to read something. I know the scriptures talk about at one day, God's going to put a new heart in us, a new spirit, new flesh, and it's the, the law will be written on our hearts. Is that part of it? I think so. But if you look through these scriptures, we understand that this heaven, this idea of the way it's supposed to be, or heaven itself, is where God reigns. Sometimes these words are used synonymously. So I want to show you a few scriptures. Uh, can you put the first one up there? I think it's 2 Corinthians. Yes. So Paul writes this. I know a man. Whether the man was in his body or apart from his body, I don't know. But only God knows. But I knew a man who was caught up to paradise. And he heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. So Paul said, now some people say, well, Paul was talking about himself. Some say, well, Paul knew a guy that supposedly went up to paradise and heard things that, that you can't express. Imagine that. There's a, my son, Ethan, in, in, in class, I had every student pick a mutation. I love DNA. I don't know if I told you guys this or not. Love DNA. And so I had my students um, Google mutations, weird mutations in the human body or animals or plants. And they, they stood up in front of class, and they had to speak three to five minutes. And they had to teach us about this mutation. And my son picked one called um, tetrachromacy. I don't know if you've ever heard of tetrachromacy. Okay, great. Let me teach you. And so um, there are some people and animals that have two different color of eyes. Have you seen that before? Cats are pretty big. Husky dogs are pretty popular on this. Um, some animals have two different color of eyes. These are called um, heterochromats or heterochromacy. And so sometimes, though, you might have one color here, and then in, towards the middle of your pupil, there's another color. That's an option. Sometimes the color is cut in half this way. The top is different from the bottom. Sometimes it's cut this way, and the right is different from the left, or it's just blue eye, green eye. Lots of different versions of this. We are all humans that have three cones. So we have three cones over and over and over. There's trillions of them in our eyes. Our eyes are fantastic. This is why you can look at a human and say, your eyes... Now, it sounds like a middle schooler trying to ask a girl to a dance, but deep down, your eyes are amazing. They're designed, they are beautiful, they are, the odds of it happening is astronomical. But the trillions of cones and the cells in your eyes, the way they make them work, in the in anyways, so you have three cones, red, blue, and yellow, the primary colors. We know this, right? So, so red and blue makes, close, purple, very good. <laughs> Uh, yes. Why do we need to know this? Um, yes, red and blue makes <laughs> purple, and yellow and blue makes green. Very good. So, um, tetrachromats, we all have three. One percent of our population in the world 
have a fourth cone. And they can see about 100 million more colors than we can see. And it's amazing. There's a Russian artist, I forgot her name. This artist, she has tetrachromacy. She'll look at, the, some, the, she'll look at a, a picture of a tree. A tree and a peacock are two of the most famous ones. But there's a picture of a tree, and she, uh, they'll have a picture of the tree over here, and then she'll paint what she sees. And it is amazing. Just, I mean, you and I, red and blue makes purple. For her, it's like red and blue makes like 1,500 other colors in between. And it's just shades that we haven't seen. It's, it's, it's amazing. So when Paul says this man went to heaven and he saw something inexpressible, John will say things like, the streets were like. They weren't gold. They were like. Or there was a sea of glass. Okay, I know what glass is, and I know what a sea is. I don't know how you can get those confused. Like, how is, like, are you saying it's, like, smooth and see-through? Like, what are you saying? So I, I, I believe you and I will get to heaven, and there'll be moments where we'll go, this is very pretty. And I believe there'll be moments where we're going, like, what on earth? And he'll say, no, 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 we're not on earth anymore. We're in heaven. Well, where is that at? Well, it's, it's, it's not a there. It's, it's, it's where God is. It's, it's where he is. It's where things are supposed to be the way they're supposed to be. So when we go through these things, even some of the, some of the Old Testament writers, I think I have one up here. Can you go to the next one? Yeah, 1 Kings. This is what, um, in 1 Kings, he talks about the supplication of your servant. And your people of Israel, when they pray toward this place, hear from heaven your dwelling place. So this place, this is the place where God dwells, which is fascinating because in the Old Testament, he teaches how he can dwell with us on earth. So we start building a, a tabernacle. There's a temple. There's the seat between the cherubim or the cherubim um, where God dwells. How, how can God be there and here? I don't know. I don't know. It's a dichotomy. How can, in all these questions, how, how can God do this and, and allow this? I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. The, the same way I can love my child and want to beat him at the same time. I don't know. I don't know. How, well, how, how, can, how can you be so mad at your child but love him to death? I don't know. But I can. I can. I don't, I don't know. But that's, that's just, that's, it's one of those things where it, that doesn't bother me. How can God, how can God allow evil? I, I don't know. And I don't have to know. And it doesn't bother me at all as far as my belief in God goes. Because I, I know I can love my child and be mad at my child at the same time. If I can do that, then I think the creator of the cosmos has a right to do what he wants without going, hey, Curtis, what do you think I should do about this? Well, let me tell you. There should be some mountains to the east. If you look at Revelation, I believe in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, he talks about heaven being paradise as well. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give him the right to eat from the tree of life, which was taken away in the garden, and now it's located in the paradise of God, where God is. If you keep going, you will have this issue we find in churches today. In John, he says, talking about eternal life. And this is fascinating because sometimes in the church, sometimes we have, I've, I mean, I've seen it a few times, we have this desire to bring people in. And um, it's kind of like we, um, recently I was having this discussion with a youth pastor. We, we, we bring people in and we get them baptized. And then it's kind of like, we just kind of like, just, there you go. And now they're left to fend for themselves. Discipleship. In American churches, is gone. It's absent. We don't have it at all. We might call Wednesday night discipleship, but we, we, we're missing it. 
Um, I know churches who are trying to do discipleship, and it's not, it's not horrible. Um, I think sometimes it misses it. But I, I, I think because discipleship is so organic, it's, it's so natural. It's not something you plan, and it's not something you, you design and, and stuff between an hour's time. It's something that happens when you're sitting at McDonald's and you're talking about life. It's something that happens when you're at a, at a house with some sweet tea and some olives and you're just talking about... It's, it's at a funeral home. And, and somebody comes up and says... Um, the grandson comes up and just says, I, I didn't realize how much I missed him until, until he's not here anymore. He's having these moments of real life, real encounter moments of what is right and what is true and what's good in, in, in the church, in, in, in life, period. And sometimes in the church... We get caught up sometimes in, in just trying to get people and then we let go of the, of the discipling, the teaching, the, the ministering. We let go of this. And again, there's nothing wrong with trying to get people in, but the, 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 the letting go of, hey, we got you baptized, now good luck. Go find a class. Go, go, go read your Bible. Go. And it's kind of like, I don't know where to begin. I was, I, I, I'm so glad for this. I teach driver's ed. And there's two kids I drove yesterday, their boyfriend and girlfriend. I don't, you don't need to know that. But they, they drive, they, they're new to our church. And so on Wednesday nights, I, I hang out with them. And I had them in class. I have them in driver's ed right now. And this is exactly what we're talking about. Uh, they both were baptized recently. And I said, do you feel like, like, he, oh, this is what Peyton said. He goes, um, I got baptized. And now it's kind of like, now what? I said, okay, so that's, I was like, this is what we're missing, is the now what. Because being baptized isn't the like, final, like, yes. It's like the beginning. Okay, now, now we start living, and this is where it gets hard because now you've got to pick right from wrong, good from bad. You've got you to start deciphering these things and living the way you're supposed to be living. It gets difficult. And so we go on with this discipleship thing, trying to fix it in the church, um, and it gets tough. You look at, look at Christians today, 84% of Christians read the Bible only once a week, and it's usually during a service. Usually. Um, that's it. And so if 84% of us are reading the Bible once a week, usually during church, it's fascinating because then when you meet with people who are Christians, they say, well, the Bible says this. How do you know that? Like, are you sure about that? I've heard a lot of misquotes about the Bible. Lots of them. And I have, the hard, I have a hard time correcting somebody. I don't like confrontation. I don't know if you know that or not. I had a student one time at church camp, stood on the stage, and was kind of like towards the end of the week, and they were just kind of like confessing some stuff and just kind of like... I want to get my life right. And he says, and then he goes, it's like the good book says, where you turned backwards and saw one set of footprints in the sand, it was there that I carried you. And I was like, that's not the Bible. That's a poem called Footprints. And we see it all over America. There's Jesus and you walking on a beach, and there's two footprints, and all of a sudden there's one. And it's like, Jesus, you left me. No, 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 those aren't your footprints. They're my footprints. I was carrying you. And I want to tell a kid, like, I wanted to stand up and go, dude, that's not from the Bible. But I didn't have the heart to do that. Should I have? I don't know. I just, it, part of me was like, it's not my camp. I'm just a guest speaker. Uh, but part of me was like, should, I, like, should we? Like, like, <laughs> kids, that's not in the Bible. Um, I've had kids say things. I had an adult, actually, during 9-11. Uh, shortly afterwards, he said, didn't the Bible say something about two towers will fall? I was like, no, two towers is only Lord of the Rings. And I said, I don't, the Bible doesn't mention two towers falling anywhere. And they're like, well, sure it does. Like, it's even on our dollar bill. And they start folding the dollar bill to show two towers. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, our, our people quoted Monty Python and the Holy Grail as Scripture. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, uh, or cleanliness is next to godliness. That's nowhere in the Bible. 
But yet we say it, Hallmark cards have it on there, so therefore it must be right. So we get all this stuff, and this is why I think discipleship is so important. This is why I think, I don't know if my wife and I, it was, I took three boys from middle school to graduating college, and I just tried to pour my life into them. I went to their events, I went to their sports, we had lunch together. Um, even today, we still meet, uh, and they're, they're grown and have kids. One's a pastor in Bloomington, one works for REMC, and one's a pharmacist, or he's an evil scientist, I can't tell. But um, these three boys I pour my life into, and that's, I still try to do, continue to do that today, even with my students in class. My wife, she took three girls, same thing. These other, these other three girls are now moms, they work in the school, one, one's at a dentist office and one's at Crane, they have kids of their own, and it's kind of like, now sometimes some don't come back to church, and, and they, they, don't, they don't come back, they, they've kind of world gets a hold of them. You just talked about these parables of these seeds being on different rocky grounds and different types of soil and chokes them off. The world's desires choke us away and stuff like that. And this happens. This happens a lot. But I, I look at this going, some, sometimes the idea of in the church, we get them in, we get them baptized, and it's like, whew, we did it. We did it. But we forget the rest of life. It gets harder it's more difficult. You've got to start choosing what's right and what's wrong. When you've got a lot less of us reading Scripture and knowing what Scripture says, it's hard for us to tell people, well, the Bible says, because we don't read it. We don't know. We think, maybe, or we watch TV shows, and we say, well, the TV show said it, so therefore it must be true, or I saw this on TikTok, so therefore it must be right, and I deal with that with teenagers. And so sometimes, um, a kid said to me not long ago, he said, the idea of, of heaven, it becomes, the, the idea becomes eternal life, begins at death. He said, eternal life is like, it happens when I die. So basically I get baptized. This was him saying this to me. He said, so basically I get baptized and then I just kind of like hang out. I wait until I die. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not it at all. I mean, Jesus says, John says this in, in his gospel. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you. That's eternal life. Eternal life, yes, there will be life eternal after we die, but eternal life when John says eternal life is that they know you and the one whom you sent, the question now becomes, when can you know God and when can you know the one God sent? Now or when you die? So eternal life doesn't start. Now, I believe we taste this here on earth. I believe so. Some will call it heaven and earth kind of mixing. I don't have a word for it, but I, I call it things like, um, how many of you guys have ever been out in nature and you've seen a sunset, you've seen, you've seen mountains, you've seen the ocean, you've seen something where you wanted to stop and go, this is right. Have you ever had an experience? You've, you've, sometimes, and it might not be like nature, it could be something like um, the birth of my first, my, my first child, 18-year-old now, a daughter who's now an adult who still lives on my roof, who's still my baby girl. She's still my baby girl. Uh, oh, she's growing up. Um, but I remember the birth of my firstborn. I remember going like, pause, pause life right now. Like everything is right. Every, everything is where it's supposed to be. Let's, just, let's have this moment last. So I believe um, when Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I think Solomon says, he has set eternity in our hearts. I believe this is kind of the idea of we long for the longing and it's the idea that when we get these tastes on earth, when we get this, everything is right right now. I want, I want everything to freeze. This is how it's supposed to be. 
I think sometimes those are glimpses of, of like this heaven feeling. I don't think it's physically what heaven's going to look like, but I believe it's like this is how it's going to be in heaven, where everything is as it's supposed to be. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more loss, no more pain, no more suffering, no more of that stuff. And at this moment, this sunset, this landscape, Romans chapter 1 tells us that God is clearly seen by his creation in all that he's made. So there are moments that we see that and go, God is good. Like, this, like he did this, and I get to experience this. I believe those are like moments where like heaven and earth line up, but then we keep going. Like, life keeps going. You can't stop. We, we, we can't slow down and say, God, just let's, let's leave this here for a second because we've got, we got to keep going. Life keeps going. It doesn't stop. Um, Jesus, one man said this way, Jesus is a rep- representation of heaven on earth. He is the supposed to be. So when you read the stories of Christ, his interactions with people, the people who nobody wanted to touch, and Jesus comes in and spends time with them, that's how it's supposed to be. The, the way things are supposed to be is the ones who were on the outside, they're supposed to be on the inside. And sometimes the people on the inside thought they were right and they were actually on the outside. And this is where I think Jesus gets into parables about this. He talked to people about this. Some of the disciples even say, this is a hard teaching. We can't accept this. And they left Jesus. In John 17, we talk about the eternal life. I, I think I have it there. Yeah, this is, the, this is eternal life, that you know him and the one who sent him. And we get this taste here um, on earth. I listed a few of these, actually, too. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Um, I went to Mexico twice to build homes for the poor. And you would think in a campground full of dirt, um, no showers, um, you get a bucket of water a day. And if you were rich, your parents bought you this little pad that you poured the water in and laid it in the sun. And then at night, you hung it up in the bathroom. And the bathroom was a room like this, just wide open gravel on the ground and you just it was a plywood wall and you just hung that little bag up and it had a little hose and, and, and the rich kids from Dallas were just like oh, and there's me over here with my bucket going like oh, 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 I'm good um, that was it you know it's like 10 degrees at night 120 during the day but I remember we would leave Mexico building a house for the poor we would leave going, I don't want to leave. Like the, the experience we had here was how it's supposed to be. And we don't want to go back to where we have bottled water and tap water and flavored water and, and chilled water and iced water and water in the bottle. And we don't want to go back to that. We, we want to stay here. So I believe there are times when Jesus says, follow me. It might look difficult, but how in the world can a group of people go and feed the homeless under, uh, under, under an uh, overpass in Dallas, Texas, going, I don't want to leave this moment. I don't want to leave this moment. Like, you don't tell somebody, hey, we're going to go feed the homeless, and people come lining up and going, I want to. That doesn't happen. But when you ask a group of kids who come back from camp, we don't want to come back. We don't, we don't want to go back home. Like, we, we want to we we stay because we, we got to taste the way things are supposed to be. We got to taste this paradise, this heaven. We got to experience what God says is how life is supposed to be. So then when we come back, we're like, hey, let's do the song we did at camp. And I'm like, well, we'll try, but I'm no musician, so here we go. And they're like, Moffat, stop playing. You're just horrible. Or I'll try to change something, and then it's like the drummer doesn't know how to drum, and then this person over here is playing the piano like it's a bar, and I'm, I don't play country music, so I'm just like, I'm butchering this song. 
And it's just like, it's not the same. And we realized that. We got that. Sometimes it was, I experienced this one time, I was laying in a hammock in my front yard with my little baby girl, who was now 18. I remember holding her, and I remember thinking to myself, I used to think I knew what love was. And now holding this baby, now I realize what I thought love was is not even close. And now as a 45-year-old man, I think to myself, what am I going to know when I'm a grandparent that I think I know now? Like what? When I'm a grandparent, well, I say, you 45-year-olds, you think you know all this stuff. You don't know anything. Sometimes I experienced this sitting at, a lunch, sitting at lunchtime with a student that nobody else wanted to be around. Just being with this one kid and sitting there having a conversation. I remember going, I don't want this moment to end. I don't, want, I don't want this moment to last. I don't want this moment to just ever go away. But sometimes in our life, there's so much more going around that we ever know about. There's so much more going on. For example, I have it up here. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about in this, uh, the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of the evil realm. So it's not necessarily against flesh and blood. We argue about politics and people and, and, and teachers and, and what, name anything you want. But he says our struggle is not against those things. That stuff's always going to be here. Our struggle is against these powers of this dark world, these things that we can't see. There's a great story in the Scripture. I think I have it up here. I think I put it up here finally. Yes, I know you can't read this. I'm going to read it for you. It's a great story. It says this, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I'm going to set up my camp in such and such place, which is that's especially funny to me. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He, he summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? We have, we have a betrayer. None of us, my lord, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very word you speak in your bedroom. Ooh, interesting. Go find out where he is, said the king, so I can send men and capture him. They're going to kill him. Can you go next one? The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night. They surrounded the city. When the servant of, a lot of songs that would be sing in churches have come from this passage. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no! This is like a Monty Python moment. Oh no, my lord! What shall we do? So you're in a campground. The, the sun is beginning to come up. It's still twilight. And there's, there's soldiers and horses and chariots all around you. And you're thinking, oh no. Like, what are we going to do? Like, there's, like, do we dig a hole? Do we pretend like we're dead? What do we do? Then it's funny because the, ser the servant speaks this. Then the prophet Elisha says, don't be afraid. I don't know about you, but if I am that servant and I tell the prophet, look at all these horses and soldiers and chariots, we're dead. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm going to say, go back to bed. <laughs> like, shut your mouth. I am very scared. Um, or I'll just hide behind you because you're so great. But the prophet said, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The army was not. So as, as a servant, I'm thinking, we've got five. They've got hundreds of thousands. I can do the math, and they got us outnumbered. I'm pretty sure. But then Elisha prays. 
And he says, God opened his eyes so he could see. The Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked. He saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So this Elisha saw something and wasn't afraid. All around us, the same thing happens all the time. I, 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 I believe this. I, I know sometimes it looks like we're, out, we're outnumbered. We're surrounded. I know it looks like we're surrounded. If we could just open our eyes and see, see what's really going on, see the angelic armies, see, see the things around us that God has set up in place for us to be, to be safe. I'm, I'm sure when people are driving on the interstate, I'm sure there are, there are angels guiding safety. I'm sure there are, when, when children are playing, I'm sure there are probably things we cannot see. I'm sure there are children and there are adults and there are people who, what's wrong with them? I'm sure there are dark forces in this world. So our, our, the battle's not flesh and blood. It's something much bigger and much greater going on in all of this stuff. Much bigger, much bigger going on in all of our things around us. And so I know for me, I never present the gospel. I try not to, at least. I shouldn't say never. I don't try to present the gospel as there's heaven where things are the way they're supposed to be, and there's God. And then there's hell, agony, pain, misery, loneliness, isolation, fiery pits. Which one do you want to go to? I, don't, I try not to present it that way just because it seems like a no-brainer to me. It seems, it seems almost I'm going, well, you don't want to go to this horrible place, so your only option is this. I don't want to present that way. I know when I think about love, as a father, I want my children to choose to love me. Not because I programmed them, not because I made them, not because I enforced rules that said, if you don't, I am going to send you to Kansas, and you're going to live in Kansas. I was trying to think of a state that was Idaho. You're going to go pick potatoes rest of your life. One of my sons might be like, well, all right, I like potatoes. It's just one of those like, you don't want to go to that. So I, I want my children to choose to love me. I want my children to, to want to love me, to, to live with me, even when they're 18 and moving on. I want them to pick daddy. That's what I want them to do. And so I read this one time, and I'm going to share it with you. There is nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. You can't keep the commands. Only God can save us, and he did. In a very horrible display on a cross, in order to pay a debt that we cannot pay. When time is no more, you will die, and you will begin eternity. Eternity with him, eternity without him. You choose. Jesus says one of the two things. He will either look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or he will say, not everybody who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of scary. He will either look at us and he will say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Or he will even say to those who call him Lord, I never knew you. That makes me a little nervous. There are people in our lives, family maybe, friends, us, there are people who will say, I call him Lord. I see it on Facebook. I watch what they write on Facebook and go, oh my goodness. And then I look, oh yeah, they checked Christian. And then I'm like, 
Is that what he's talking about? Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's kind of like, that's a reality check. I think we all need to focus on. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So he will either say to us, I never knew you, away from me, or he will say, well done, come on in. It's, it's a reality check that sometimes we dismiss, we go to lunch, we ignore it. I think it's a reality check that we all need to have because there is this eternity, there is this paradise, there is this realm where things are the way they're supposed to be, heavenly. And we taste it. We get to taste it here and we long for it. We, this eternity has been set in our heart, according to Solomon. We have it. We know it. It's here. Paul says a creation around us talks about God, shows God. The eyeball has proved to me that there is a designer. The universe, the stars in motion, the planetary orbits have proved to me. DNA has solidified the idea that this is not a random act of events. There's lots of things for me that I'm like, I've got all the proof I need. Are there times I have questions? Absolutely. But I can still look in the mirror and say, do you love your kids and want to smack them? Yes. So I don't have all the answers. But there's enough for me that I understand that there is a God and he loves us so much that he's willing to die for us. That says a lot. And the question becomes, when you stand face to face, my relationship to my mom is not going to get me to heaven. My relationship to Nick is not going to get me to heaven. My relationship to anybody is not going to get to me to heaven. God's going to look at me one day and he's going to say, well done. Or he'll say, I never knew you. And that's a reality check we all need to face. Let's pray. Father God, you are a good God. And in this world, God, there are troubles, there are pain, there is suffering. God, there is anguish. But God, even uh, your handiwork is all around us. God, the, the nature that you've put in place, our sunset, our leaves, our seasons that remind us of rebirth, and rest. God, the, the beauty that we see right now during this season of colors, uh, the weather changing, uh, God, our sunsets, our sun rises, God, just show us um, the handiwork that you've put in place. God, the Psalms tell us that the heavens declare the glory of you and the skies proclaim the work that you have done. God, we give thanks for Christ for giving his life that we may have life. We pray this in his name. Amen.